I know sometimes Wednesday night, midweek, we have a little bit of a different approach. Uh, there's very few times on Wednesday nights that uh, people come in here geared up, ready to run the aisles, and uh, that's okay. But I always want this house to be filled with power. Amen. And I want God to uh, have his perfect will and way in this house tonight. I have um, I've kind of been in a little bit of a, um, not so much of a wrestling match with God, but just going kind of back and forth on what I felt in my heart to preach to you tonight. And uh, I sat today with Bishop and uh, shared some of the things that were on my heart, um, of which I want to give him tonight. Uh, honor and thanks for helping us while we were gone. Bishop, preach the word. Amen. I'm not going to say who. I was told by somebody tonight I'm going to have to step my game up a little bit. Um, but it wasn't just because of his content. It was because he preached short. And so that's what I was told. Um, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would feel that way, but uh, <laughs> hey, man, thank you for praying for us while we were gone. Um, we had a couple of days to rest uh, for our anniversary. We took two days and rested, and the rest of the time we traveled and, and uh, preached, and it was, uh, it was so good to be in Carlsbad with uh, Pastor King and their church family, and uh, I know, I know that... Uh, there's probably not 10 people in here that have ever been to the church in Carlsbad. Um, but I want to tell you, it just makes me so godly proud, um, the work that the Lord's doing in Carlsbad. And uh, Sunday morning, we were in church, and I was sitting down on the front row on the right-hand side. And pastor got up during church uh, as a, they were going to try to take the offering. He said, now listen, if you have a seat open next to you, scoot down. There's still more people coming in. And it was wall to wall and they're getting ready to expand and build and we thank God for what he's doing in Carlsbad. Amen. It's beautiful to see hungry people all over this nation and around the world that are opening up their hearts to the kingdom of God and I believe we've just seen the very tip of the iceberg of what God's going to do. Amen. Amen. I want to just uh, take your attention if I could tonight to the book of Acts, the second chapter. Um, I just want to take you to the book of Acts, the second chapter, and I want to talk to you a little bit, if I can. I, I, you ought to see what my brain looks like tonight, trying to make all this make sense in my heart, in my life. I, I, if my brain looked anything like the notes that I tried to jot down, it'd scare you to death. But somewhere in here, God has a word for us tonight, and I'm going to do my best to uh, to get that to you in some way, shape, or form. Acts, the second chapter. I'm going here simply for the context of familiarity. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. Let's read it tonight. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this is kind of where I want to pick up. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of 
every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, what was noised abroad? The fact that men were dwelling there or the fact that the Holy Ghost had fallen? We know, we know why they were there. They were there for the feast. So what was noised abroad is the supernatural outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the upper room. Amen? Everybody here agree with that? When this was noised abroad, the multitude, a large crowd, large crowds of people came together. And they were confounded because that every man heard them speak. In his own language. Listen to the language of this verse. They were all amazed. Everybody say amazed. amazed. They were amazed. And they marveled. Saying to one another. Behold are not all these which speak Galileans. And how hear we every man in our own tongue. Wherein we were born. Verse 12. And they were all amazed. And were in doubt saying to one another. What meaneth this? What meaneth this? You may be seated. Um, I wish tonight that there was some way I could give you a, a, a catchy title for what I want to preach to you. But um, I, I want to just talk to you tonight about the power of Pentecost. This is not a uh, Pentecost Sunday sermon. This is not my desire at all to... Um, Fill your time tonight with rhetoric that would just make somebody stand up and shout. But I want to tell you what I believe tonight as a man and as a man of God. I believe, and please, please understand my motive from the start. I believe that Pentecost is meant to be an experience that separates us. Not just from the world, but from anything that considers itself religious. Amen. Pentecost and the experience of Pentecost should be beyond a doubt the most powerful movement in the earth. Now, this is, this is the kind of teaching that makes people uncomfortable. And I'm not here tonight to compare uh, anything to anybody or anything. And, and I, I want to be very, very clear with that. I'm not here tonight to compare Pentecost to denomination. Because we are not a denomination. And furthermore, there is no denomination that we are connected to. There is nothing about our movement that has anything in common other than that we believe in Christ. With the predominant ideologies of denominationalism. Ecumenicalism and denominationalism and all of these thought processes. Uh, I, I don't want this to sound derogatory. Just know I'm staying in the book. These were not birthed out of a day of Pentecost experience. It was born out of ideas that uh, came to the minds of men who were not satisfied with the experience that it happened at Pentecost. And here's the reason why. The power of Pentecost will always cause transformation. Oh, I'm going to preach in here one way or the other. It will always cause a transformation in the life of whatever it touches and affects. 
And when we have began to shape our thought processes around relevance more than we have power, I am afraid that we have missed the mark of why we've been called out and why we've been filled with His Spirit and why we have taken on His name. It appears to me that in this hour in which we live, there is a search beyond any time I have ever seen in what is so-called the Pentecostal movement to be relevant to this culture. And I'm not here tonight to preach against culture because culture is what it is. Culture was there in the first century and as that has adapted, so have uh, every culture in the world, every every single culture has adapted and changed, and there are things that have changed. And you know, you you can you can get on little minuscule things and teach and preach and uh, talk about. You know, it, it would have been if I could draw a comparison like this, it would have been really tough for us to pick up the Word of God and see the Apostle Paul say anything about "Thou shalt not go sit in movie houses." They didn't have them. They didn't even have film. They didn't have cameras. It had been hard for him to say, thou shalt not watch a rated R movie. You understand what I'm saying? Culture has adapted. Culture has changed. And we face things in this society that they did not face. I believe with all my heart that if the apostles were to preach today, and they're not because they couldn't handle what we got today, and we couldn't handle what they had back then, our anointings are different. God called them for then, and he called us for right now. But I do believe that the apostles would have been uh, connected enough to their world to preach and know what's going on in this world. They would be wise to the devices of the enemy just as we should be today. I believe that somewhere in their teaching they would deal with the entertainment of this world. They would deal with social media. They would deal with phones and devices. Why? Because they are our devices. It's the things that... We deal with, but they didn't have to preach against those things because they didn't have to deal with those things. But they dealt with stuff that you and I have not dealt with. It's so primitive when we look at it and think, ah, there's no way. But you understand when I tell you that they dealt with things in their day that had just as much a grip on the life of a man or a woman as the drug uh, epidemic has today and uh, the addictions that grip the hearts of men and women today. What has changed are simply the kind of addictions that there are. But I fear that in our search for relevance, we have brought ourselves to a place that we preach a gospel that's powerful enough to convict your heart and bring you to church and bring you into fellowship, but not powerful enough to convert you and to change you and to challenge you to rise up out of the life that you're living and to live a life that's following after Jesus with every ounce of strength that you have. I believe that the doctrines of the apostles that they continued steadfastly in in 2 and 37, I believe that those doctrines are transformational doctrines that are meant to lift us up out of any culture and it's relevant to any day in any nation in the world. I don't believe that God's intention for Acts, the second chapter in the power of Pentecost to affect them in Jerusalem in the first century and then just affect us in America for the rest of that. 
you have to understand that, that culture is different all over the world. You can talk to missionaries and uh, they'll tell you how different things are. They, they, they don't deal with some of the stuff we deal with in, in North America. You know, I, 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 I'd waste my time if I went to the Philippines. Let's just say the Philippines. And I started preaching to them about the things that we're facing with our young people in the American church. Girls just changing the name of it, and they don't want to call it makeup anymore. They, they just change the name of it, and now they use all they want to use of it. I mean, when, when, you're, when you're in a place that you can't hardly afford the clothes you got on, you're definitely not going to go spend a bunch of money on jewelry and makeup. But it needs to be dealt with in our movement. Because this is a transformational doctrine. Oh, God. Some of our church was telling me the other day, and I don't remember this. I don't remember this. But they told me that when I was preaching the last time at National Youth Convention, that I said some things I don't believe I said. They told me I said it. And my wife started nodding. She said, yes, you said it. I was told that I got up and started saying things like, if you're going to paint the tip of the nail, you might as well paint the whole nail. I don't believe I said that. Not at a conference, because surely we wouldn't use a conference to preach holiness to people. God forbid. But there are things that they have to be dealt with, not because... Uh, not because we're anything special, but because we are children of the king that believe in a transformational power that happens in the life of somebody. And I ask you tonight, if you really sincerely could ever bring yourself to believe that the transformational power of Pentecost was so powerful that God meant to transform you in the middle of your sin and just let you stay the way you were. My question to you is, if we are being transformed, what are we being transformed into? And what are we being changed from? Are we being transformed into the image of His likeness? Or are we being transformed in this world by allowing our minds to be conformed to this world? So it's a dangerous place that we have come to where we take things for granted and we, we live in certain ways. Uh, man, I want to say this as sweet as I can. But we act like spoiled, rotten brats because our father's a king. We act like we're spoiled, rotten, and we can do whatever we want to do and expect there to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost just because we claim that we are His. But I want to tell you that it's going to cost you and I the same thing in the 21st century to have an apostolic demonstration of power and victory and authority and transformational power in this. It's going to cost us the same thing. I want to tell you, uh, and, and, and please don't think I'm being derogatory, but 
If there was a shortcut to apostolic breakthrough, somebody in this generation would have found it. Somebody would have found it. Why? Because we're always looking for shortcuts. Hallelujah. Brother Rowe, can you pump me just a little more in the monitors, brother? Thank you. We got, look at these new speakers we got up here. No more cutting out anymore. Thanks God. Thank God. Praise the Lord. I believe tonight that there is something, the further we go in this, and Bishop, I don't know how to preach this without it sounding off and, and ugly, but I'm just, I got to get it out of my spirit. I feel like the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the closer we ought to be getting to Him. But some way, somehow, we feel in our search for relevance. The further we go here, the more relevant to the world we want to be and still claim we've got the corner in the monopoly on Holy Ghost power. I was talking to my mother the other day and I, I, I was sharing a personal frustration about how frustrated I get with some of these denominal leaders and the things that they're seeing happen and transpire because they are so hungry for the supernatural. And they pursue it with everything they've got. These men that don't even know the fullness of truth. And they're entertaining angels and seeing miracles and signs and wonders and all of those things happening. And then the true church of the living God is over here trying to figure out how we can get more power and live less like Him. I'm locked in. I might as well run with it tonight. And it has brought us to a place where our gospel that we preach, we don't want it to be transformational because if we preach that the sinner has to transform and conform their life to God, then we as the body of Christ, it puts an incredible pressure on us to have to live what we've been saying we believe. And it's a tough place. It's a tough place to be. And so I want to tell you what I believe has happened. I wish you could see in my heart tonight where I'm at. My, my, my soul is hungry tonight. I, I, I long for a drink from the fountain tonight. I'm so hungry and I want to lead this church to a place where we understand this captivating love and power that I'm talking to you about tonight. But I'm going to tell you what's happened, okay? Can, can I just lay it out here and be honest tonight? Can I lay my heart out before you and what I believe to be the heart of God? We've gone through dry seasons. Where we have not experienced the demonstration power of the Holy Ghost because we weren't willing to pay the price to get what we had to do and do whatever we had to do to see that transformational power happen. And so when we could not get the power, we introduced politics. We became a movement that strives to climb some kind of a ladder and I'm not just talking about in the UPC and the ALJC and the WPF. I'm talking about in local assemblies everywhere. There is a hunger for power. There's a hunger to be noticed. There is a hunger. And it was in the first century church too. It was there. There's a hunger for people to recognize who you are and think that you're somebody. It's this power that gets in us. But what's happened is we haven't been connected to his power. So all of a sudden we try to exercise our power. 
And everything that we do revolves around an event called services. Now I know, I know that it's a gathering on the day of Pentecost. I know that, but just understand the context. They didn't come in there at 7 o'clock in the evening and the Holy Ghost fell by 8.30 and they went home. They sat in there for 7 to 10 days. It wasn't a church service. It was a gathering of people who were so hungry to be transformed that they said, we're going to stay right here until it happens and we're not going to leave until it does. And I, will, I just want to introduce you to how I'm thinking tonight and what's going on in our world. This is, this is the way we work. And I, I understand church growth. I want church growth. I desire church growth. But church growth happens with people growth. Come on, somebody. Don't fall asleep on me now. Church growth happens with people growth. And people growth only happens with investing in people. Loving people. Pouring your heart out on people. Spending money you don't have on people. And wherever there's people, it gets messy. Woo! Anybody in here ever volunteered for the nursery? Sister Crystal saying I could use about 60 more. You do a great job, Sister Crystal. We honor you. Thank you. If you walk in a full nursery on a Sunday night, you can tell there's been some mess in there, if you know what I mean. Because wherever there's babies, there's stink. Wherever there's babies, there's vomit and, and, and spit up. Come on now. And, and, and wherever there's babies, it's going to cost you time. And you're going to get frustrated. And you're going to sit up in the middle of the night and rock back and forth when you wish you were sleeping. God, help us to understand that the kingdom of God was not built on luxury and comfort. Woo. I'm either going to step up my game or have Bishop come finish this. Hear me tonight, church family. Listen to pastor. I'm telling you. Our worlds revolve around the events of our week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And the way that we connect with this world is phrases like this. This is how we think. It's ingrained in us. I want you to come to church with me. Listen now. This is Pentecostal rhetoric. This is the way we talk. When we, when, when we talk to people about the, 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 the transformational power of God anymore we don't say my life was transformed in 1978 we say i got in church i got in church in 1984 got in church what do you mean that that's that's when i started going to church that's when i started attending a building that's when i started going to events every week when it was convenient enough for me to be there i started going to the events Listen, I'm all about the gathering. But this is going to shock you. But do you know that our services were never meant to be the evangelistic moment of the week? This, is, this, this pulpit was not created to be the place of evangelism for our city. Pulpits do not beget disciples. Disciples beget disciples. 
This is a place where we ought to come together every week and celebrate and be charged up and be lifted up by the power of the word and confirm what God is doing. I'm telling you right now, God is trying to transform the end time church and get us to break out of the four walls of the church and get our minds off every event that we've got saying, yeah, come to church, come to church, come to church. We've got to be the church. Get in your Bibles and read Acts the third chapter. Now listen, if you know Peter and John, these were holy men. They were righteous men. Even before they had the Holy Ghost, they made mistakes, but they still went to the temple to pray. I tell people all the time, and it's kind of like a light bulb comes on. You know, the first first church, 120 that gathered in the upper room, there was not a lot of conversion that had to happen for them. Like, what, what, what do you mean, Brother St. Clair? I mean, these were people that were already living the word of God that they knew. They weren't ranked sinners. There was nobody in the upper room that was dealing with ranked sin. Now, we find out with Paul later as Saul, and the Lord knocks him off of his beast, and he goes blind, and there's quite a conversion that happens. The 120 in the upper room were all godly people. They were there when he was crucified. They were there after his resurrection, and all 120, as far as we know, were there on the mountain when he ascended. They didn't have to learn to believe anything. There was not a big conversion that happened in their life. The only thing that happened to the 120 that were there, they already believed Jesus was the Messiah. They did, all of them. You can go back and read John's gospel that was written 60 years after the day of Pentecost and you can find out what John believed. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John didn't learn that at Pentecost. He learned that walking with Jesus. Y'all can be seated. These people were not converted to Christianity. They were converted to the power of what happened with the experience on the day of Pentecost. And these men went to the temple and they prayed every day. And they prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were there when Jesus ascended. And they understood what Jesus meant when he said, No man comes of the Father but by me. They prayed to God. They sought God. They did everything they did in word or deed in Jesus' name. But after they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, when we get to the third chapter of the book of Acts, There are two men that have been to that temple every day that they were supposed to be there to pray, except for the last few when they were shut up in an upper room. And I believe that that lame man in Acts the third chapter had been laying at that same gate at the temple for many years. What was the difference in Acts chapter 3 and what was going on when Matthew was writing the gospel and Mark and Luke and John was writing the gospel of Jesus Christ? The difference was the transformational power of the Holy Ghost that rested on Peter and John in Acts the second chapter the miracle that happened in Acts 3 was not because they just started believing in Jesus and they were converted in the upper room what happened in the upper room is that they were transformed they were not converted 
There has to be a transformational process that happens. But when we cannot produce transformation, we produce programs. I know I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight. God's been shaking me in my spirit for months. I've been, I've been rolling with this thing. I've been, I've been fighting this and wrestling with this. God, what, what are we going to do? How, how, how are we going to make this work? Listen, there's no such thing as cookie cutter outpouring. I, I, I'm going to try to break it down for you, make, make it make sense to you. We can't do the same thing in Anderson that someone would do in Chicago, Illinois, or Los Angeles. or You, you can't. You, we can't do the same thing here that they would do in New Delhi. When it comes to being culturally relevant, it's not the same. We are not an inner city church. We don't deal with a lot of gangbangers up in here. We don't. I mean, we're, just, we're, we're not an inner city Los Angeles church. There's not going to be a lot of testimonies in here. Somebody that was the head of the Crips or the blood, and they come walking up in here and be like, yeah, but I've been transformed by the power of Jesus. We're going to have to fly that guy in. Amen. we got a few little small town gangs around here. Some of the big boys try to come in and make some influence, you know. But for, for the most part, Midwest with, with that kind of, it's just different. It's just different. We're in a different place. There's no such thing as cookie-cutter revival. But I'm going to tell you what the common thread is always going to be wherever there is revival. It's people that spend their time on earth doing everything they can to connect to heaven. That, that's not very deep. You don't even need floaties for that. Wherever there is revival, it's because people are spending their time not trying to figure out how to look better, not trying to figure out how to get better, not trying to figure out how to get more money, but they're spending time on their face seeking after God, saying we are hungry for a move and we're going to stay right here until your spirit is poured out. Oh, God. I was reading this week, and I'm... Understand, there was nothing doctrinally sound about what happened at, at the Great Awakening. But I was reading uh, Jonathan Edwards. There was an, an uh, autobiographical account of Jonathan Edwards when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. I've heard about that sermon all my life. And it's very interesting to read when you read biographers' account of how Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's very, very interesting. And I'm going to say this tonight and mean it. This church would not have liked his preaching. You wouldn't. This church is spoiled rotten. Because we like a certain kind of preaching. And if that's not the preacher that's preaching, then we don't want to be there. And they said Jonathan Edwards, when he was preaching one of the most recorded sermons of all times that had ever been talked about, sinners in the hands of an angry God, one guy said, it has been told many times that he shouted and exclaimed this. He said, but actually in Connecticut at this, uh, the night that he preached this sermon, he said, he stood there, opened up a book, never raised his voice, never moved from the lectern. He stood right there and he started reading word for word verbatim out of, out of his textbook, whatever he had written, whatever it was that he had in front of him. He read sinners in the hands of an angry God and he walked through the story, preaching the story about how sinners are dangling over hell and right now they have a chance to be delivered 
But before long, it's going to be too late. Listen to me. They said he never raised his voice. And by the time he got towards the end of that sermon, the wailing and the weeping in the room got so loud that he had to call the room to order so they could hear him. They said that people were literally wailing, Bishop, out loud. They said, they said the thing that they kept hearing in the room, this biographer said, the thing that people kept saying all over the room that night as he was trying to, to slowly and, and, and generally just speak what he had written down, people began to scream out loud saying, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And I thought, you know, it's so funny. Because we have our little, I, I've talked about this for a long time, and you know it, so you know this has been dealing with me for a long time. We've got our own little Pentecostal subculture. We do. We've got our own little Pentecostal subculture. And you can move around denominations that, that are connected to Pentecostalism, and everybody has their little group that preaches a certain way. The other day, Marcus Lamb from Daystar TV passed away. And they, they said, uh, they played this little clip of him preaching. As soon as he finished, the TV commentator said, yeah, you can tell he's a church of God boy. Because of the way that he preached, he had a cadence like the church of God preachers that he was brought up under. We've got our little subculture. And I thought to myself, it wasn't the preaching of Edwards that caused the question to be asked. It was a transformational power. Of the Spirit of God. Now whether or not people responded. Nobody was baptized in Jesus name. And nobody was filled with the Holy Ghost. That doesn't change the fact. That the word of God went forth. And somebody in the room said. I'm out of alignment with whatever's being said right now. And I need that transformational power in my life. Understand me tonight. I'm reaching for you. And I'm trying to help you understand. That we are the children of God. And we've got to be transformed. We cannot afford to be conformed to this world. But we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God there is a transformational process that has to happen but until you and I start believing in the transformational power we will never convince this world that they need to be transformed I have preached I, I, I have preached to easier crowds <laughs> I'm feeling the pressure of what I'm preaching to you tonight. We are trying to sell in, in, in oh God, Bishop, help me tonight. We're selling, we're trying to sell certain things. And just a couple weeks ago, please don't take this ugly. We went to a meeting in Nashville, at NYC. I preached that meeting two years ago in the same room. It was turned a different way, but same meeting, same room. I'd been preaching about 10, 15 minutes, maybe. When the altar filled up, maybe. And uh, thousands, thousands of kids just rushed to the altar. Well, this year at the conference, every night when the preacher would get up and preach, he'd preach about 10 minutes. And 10 young people or so would get up and start running that way, so 1,000 would get up and run that way. They'd get up and run to the altar. Am I lying? How many of you were there? If you were there, raise your hand. You saw it happen. My wife leaned over and she said, what, what in the world did you do? I said, you do the same thing I did two years ago and say, you're welcome to stand there if you want to, but I'm not through preaching. What, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying we get this little 
subculture thing. If, if we'd have let them kids, they'll dance and shout their way right through the revelation that God's trying to speak. I want to be a dancing, shouting, aisle running, floor rolling church. I want to be that. But understand me when I tell you, we've got this culture of people that'll get excited. And I don't mean this derogatory, but they'll get excited about nothing at an NYC or an HYC or NAYC. But you turn them loose at their local church on a Wednesday night and they'll sit there and stare at you cross-eyed. It's the culture that we get in. It's our subculture. Well, if I'm at a camp meeting, then i got to dance and shout. And what God is trying to get in us is a transformational mindset that it's really not just about the dancing and the shouting. We need that, and we got to have that. But I spent an hour two years ago preaching to a generation. You've got to get in covenant for yourself. You've got to get in the covenant with God. You've got to walk with God. I didn't want people dancing and shouting because you can't dance your way into a covenant. You've got to bleed your way into covenant. making any sense tonight you you gotta you gotta work yourself into this kingdom I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this beautiful gospel transformational message being prostituted for something cause we wanna be like some TV preacher oh god it breaks my heart for us to cheapen and devalue the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we want to fill more seats with more people. My heart is bleeding tonight. When I, when I look at the direction that some of our pulpits are moving. We're move, moving further and further away from demonstration. We are, elder. We're moving further and further away from demonstration. And it's not because we don't have the talented guys that can preach it. It's because we don't have the people that want to pay the price for the transformation. Oh, I bet some of you are wishing you stayed home tonight. Something has got to do more than challenge us to dance. Something has to do more than challenge us to shout. Something has to awaken the giant of the church in the end time hour and get us back to believing in the transformational power of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, but I will never believe that it's the will of God for a drug addict to stay a drug addict as long as they're faithful to church every time the doors are open. I'll never believe that it's the will of God for an alcoholic to be in church every time the doors are open, but never be delivered. Pastor, you're, you're, you're being kind of critical. I'm not, and I'm going to show you why. It's amazing to me that in a generation that we can get people to bum rush an altar in less than 10 minutes of preaching, and nobody... Is still laying in the floor an hour after church is over speaking in other tongues because they're drunk in the Holy Ghost. We've turned our uh, young generation into apostolic addicts. We're addicted to the culture of Pentecost, but not the power of Pentecost. Oh, Jesus. 
Preachers can get up and say the most shallow stuff. Never, never scratch beyond the surface. People dance and shout and they leave and say, my God, we had church tonight. Why'd he preach? Oh. It was something about... Uh, Am I, am I helping anybody? And, and, and my wrestling match has been, how hard are we working to be sure that we fit that picture? We fit that mold. But people are still in the same condition that they were three weeks ago when they walked through the doors. Oh, Jesus. Oh. I, I, I don't know, church family. God's just going gonna, gonna to have to help us. You, no, y'all don't think I'm being mean tonight. Does everybody feel my heart in here? I'm not, I'm not here to pick on anybody, but I'm telling you, something, something, Landon, something's got to awaken in us. It's something, something's got to transform our minds that this is not God's best for FPC. This is not God's best For the apostolic movement as a whole. Something, Bishop, how is it? How how is it that we can sit on Facebook? Literally, go go look at the crazy thing. Your phone keeps track of it. How many hours you spent on Facebook in the last week? And we pray 10 minutes and we're like, "I, I can't, I can't pray. I don't. I'm, I'm distracted, and I'll tell you why. Because some of those minutes on Facebook are collected five minutes into your prayer time. Some of us need to get a rule. I, I know y'all don't believe this, especially young people. You know there was a time that people actually had to leave a message and wait to get in touch with you? I'm, I mean, I'm not an old guy. But I've loaded tapes in an answering machine. I mean, this is going to make me look stupid to some of these young people. But I I couldn't wait to get a beeper. I had a beeper. I wasn't no doctor. Me and Stephen Ellingwood counted the days. We did. And, and, and we learned to send uh, numbers on there that you could turn upside down and read. Like you could send. Like. It's unbelievable. Y- y- I know it's comical. But I-, I want everybody to get this revelation, okay? You can pray for an hour without checking your social media. And the world will not fall apart. Do you guys remember when we had to send letters to people to talk to them? Some of these kids are like, oh, I've never even wrote a letter. I'm serious. They, they've, quit teaching, uh, they've quit teaching cursive in some of the public schools because like, people aren't writing anymore. They're not. It's because we get instant gratification. We send a message, we get a response, and if we don't get a response, then you're mad and you're leaving the church. 
Oh my God, I don't know what I'm, I, te- I, I, I text pastor five minutes ago and I hadn't heard nothing. I, I sure hope the court don't rule on this before I get a text back. It's amazing. We're so, we're, we're so worried. We're so worried about it. And, and Oh Lord, this is going to come off wrong. Please don't let it, God. We go to our we go to our morning devotions and we take a picture of our Bible and our coffee so we can post it online and say, sweet time with Jesus. Let me tell you why we do that. Because that's probably the only morning we had that time that week. And we celebrate it as a monumental moment when it ought to be our rhythm and our cadence every single day there is something about Pentecost that we've got to get back to believing in the transformational power of the, this is not about this movement, this is not about who's the general superintendent of what movement this is not about our conferences this is about the power of the Holy Ghost that will transform your life understand me when I tell you this is the most transforming power that the world has ever known, it will cause your world to be turned upside down power there's a power that if we're not careful we're going to completely lose touch with because of our desire to be connected listen I'm just I'm just telling you right now there's some trends going around in this movement and you just hear your pastor tonight I'm gonna put my foot down for just a minute and I'm gonna get back but there's some junk going around right now that some of our men have started doing, some of our women have started doing, and pastors are saying it's okay, and you can still get on the platform, you can get up to the conference, and I'm, you just listen to me. Don't, don't be holding your breath in this church. I'm not leaning that way. I believe when he brings you out, he brings you out. And I think anything you do that moves the church back in the direction of the world is a move in the wrong direction. And it is a slippery slope. And I'm going to tell you why this grieves me so much. And, 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 and I don't have time to stay here. But what grieves me so much is it's not the new people that are coming into the church that are wrestling with it, Bishop. It's the people that have been raised in church and they're dealing with carnality because they think they've missed out on something. Didn't get to grow their cute little goatee and didn't get to do their little deal. It's time for us as the body of Christ to rise up and be the body of Christ. Why does it matter, Pastor? Because the world needs to know the transformational power of Pentecost. Well, I don't think God would care if I wear that on vacation. I believe He would. I believe He would. He didn't call us to be separate in the event. He called us to be separate in the world. making any sense we let people buy with stuff so they can get on the platform of a conference and play music for three days and then they leave the conference and grow it right back or wear it right back or do whatever they want to do it was a three-day reproof for an event 
Something's got to transform us and get us beyond Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night or a conference. We've got to be transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And when, when, when we don't have power to transform as a movement, we begin to slide into the ideology to conform. I want, I, oh Jesus, I want to be crystal clear. There's some really dangerous language, and I'm going to be, people's going to be critical of this, I'm sure, when they hear it, if you get the wrong people hearing it. We got this little language going on in America right now about so-and-so and such-and-such being a safe place. I want safe places. Don't get me wrong. But we're all, we're all talking about, yeah, that, 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 that's a safe place. I want to tell you what that language means in this society right now. It means it's a place where nobody's going to challenge what I want to say. And the, the pressure is on the church, Brother Tony. It's on us to be a safe place for people that have allowed themselves to come into a victim mentality. That I want to choose what sex I want to be and who I want to have sex with and who I want to live with and the kind of person that I want to be. And if your church preaches contrary to that, it is not a safe place. The church of the living God was never, in that context, a safe place. It's a transformational place. Mm. You know what? I thank God for our Christian education. I thank God for it. But we still got soldiers out there fighting right now in our public school systems. And there is pressure like you cannot imagine on people who actually have scruples and want to be a teacher and the pressure on them is to conform that if you are contradictory to the culture you are not a safe place I'm telling you the truth I watched a video the other day of this kid in the class one of the kids had filmed it on their phone and the teacher did not want to call the student by their pronoun it's going to sound crude so just it's going to be okay and so the kid walks up and tells the teacher, F you, and smacks him across the face. And, and the teacher's going to get in trouble for not being a safe place. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Can I, can I be too transparent right here? I wanted to stand up, take my belt off, and walk through that phone. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe I'm not a safe place, apparently. I wanted to take my belt off and walk up to that dude that needs to have some concrete blocks tied around his ankles and learn how to walk like a man. And say, son, if I would have ever talked to anybody in my life like that, my daddy would have laid me out on the floor. You understand what I'm telling you? Listen, the church cannot afford to conform to that ideology. We need to be a safe place for broken people that are hurting and a refuge. Yes. But we are not going to be a safe place for sin. We have got to... Oh, Jesus. We have got to get back to the transformational power of Pentecost. 
my heart, my heart has been so overwhelmed. I listened some time ago to a story that one of my favorite, not, not just my favorite, one of my favorite preachers, but one of my favorite people, a story that Brother Mooney, Brother Paul Mooney had told. I know not everybody in here even knows who Brother Mooney is. There's a large percentage of you that do. Pastored Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis for many, many years. Received the Holy Ghost under my great-grandfather and was uh, my Papa Bingham helped ordain him. Love Brother Mooney. My wife was his secretary when we married. He's one of my favorite preachers. And uh, Brother Mooney was telling a story. This was, I believe, well, th the story transpired in 1990 because it was a year that Ryan White died of AIDS. Y'all, anybody here remember Ryan White? Ryan White was a kind of a big deal in Indiana. His family was raised in Windfall, and then he he got AIDS and died uh, in a hospital in Indianapolis. And uh, Brother Mooney told this story. And I wish so bad that, that he was here to tell it. Brother Mooney told this story, and it, it messed with me, Elder. It, it, it's, it's messed with me. He said that the day after Ryan died of AIDS, the day after, the very night after, that there was a doctor from one of the hospitals in Indianapolis that had been involved, and he stopped by Calvary Tabernacle. He had, he had attended a couple of their services, and Brother Mooney said, I just happened to be there. And this doctor came in and asked to speak to Brother Mooney, and he came out and met him, and he said the guy was just bawling. He said this medical doctor was, he was beside himself. He was weeping and crying. And Brother Mooney said, Doc, what, what, what can I help you with? And he said, the sad thing about Ryan's passing last night he said to him that it was an iatrogenic disease. And Brother Mooney said, it's a what? He said he died of an iatrogenic disease. And Brother Mooney said, please explain to me what you mean, doctor. He said, I mean that Ryan did not have that disease when he came to the hospital. He said, we killed him. He said, there were four people in our hospital that came to us and they got AIDS as an iatrogenic disease. He said, they came into our place to be healed of something else. And left with the disease that we gave them. Brother Mooney said, I prayed for him and he left. Nobody can tell a story like Paul Mooney. The bishop said, when that doctor left, I, he said, I, I couldn't shut it off. He said, I started thinking about this church that's supposed to be this transformational, powerful explosion of Pentecost. And he said, there are people that, that come by to be healed. That doctor told him, he said, Ryan was not a very sick kid when he came in to us. 
he became more sick after he came. And he said, I started thinking about the church. He said, before they come to church, they're just sinners. But after they come to the hospital, he said, these people have learned in the church, they've learned sarcasm. They've learned bitterness and cynicism and hatefulness. They didn't learn that in the world. They learned it in the church. Because some snoop thought they knew better. And they're not full of the power of the Holy Ghost. They're full of cynicism. Deceiving their own self. But they got their system down. They can thrive in the Pentecostal subsystem. He said, I wonder how many iatrogenic diseases there are that are being transferred in Pentecost. Listen, I still believe in the transformational power of Pentecost. But isn't it something that somebody could come in and be delivered from alcohol, but in six, six months to 12 months become a bitter Pentecostal? Hey to everybody. Don't, 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 they dress different now. They got the holiness thing down on the outside, but they got a disease and they didn't catch it in the world. I know what I risk preaching this kind of stuff. There's going to be somebody watching that's going to say, yep, that's exactly why I left the church. Listen, if you leave the church for any reason like that, you've let the enemy win and you were here for the wrong reason anyway. I'm reaching for somebody maybe that will watch this or will hear this and you left the church because you got bitter. That is not the spirit of the transformational power of Pentecost. You picked that up from a bitter person that's never been transformed. God. Amazing. We can quote Acts 2.38 in one breath. And in the very next breath, eat our brother and sister alive. That's a disease. It's a disease. God help us. We've got to get back. I I, I was praying about this today. I'm, I'm finished preaching. I've been here almost an hour. And I, I was thinking about the deep places that we go in the word of God. And you know what? There's doctrines that we need to be sure are sound outside of the new birth. There really are. There's, there's places we got to take the church. We got to teach. We got to walk in sound doctrine. We need to know where we come from. We need to know our roots. We need to know the scripture. We, we, we need to know this is not just a historical book. It's, a, it's God's book. We, we need to know all those things. But in our search and quest for knowledge... We're losing transformational power. I had an old preacher, and I mean no disrespect by saying that. I'm, I'm just identifying. I had a, an old preacher say to me one day, he was talking about a, 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 a pastor that had taken a church, and he said, yeah, he's going to find out for long there's more to pastoring than just praying and fasting. And I didn't disrespect that elder, but in my heart I thought, you know, the problem is we figured out how to pastor, but they didn't know anything about office hours in the book of Acts. They didn't know anything about secretaries in the book of Acts. They didn't know anything about hospital visitation in the book of Acts. They didn't know anything about planning Christmas dinners in the book of Acts. 
We're getting all that part perfected because it's, it's our little system. Put on a good banquet. But where is the transformational power? And so in our quest to do more than praying and fasting, we just quit praying and fasting. I know this has been different on Wednesday night. It's been heavy for me too. God's calling us. Well, pastor, what about so-and-so's church? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not their pastor. I, you know, I'm, I'm just not. I, I walked into a meeting the other night, and, and a man that I've held in the highest of confidence for many, many years walked in, sat down on the row in front of us, and daddy didn't look apostolic. You could knock me over with a feather. And, and I looked at the church that the guy pastored, and it's a well-oiled machine. It's all together. And there's no semblance of power or authority in his life at all anymore. And I, I, I laid down and tried, tried to find peace with all this. That we present the best foot forward we've ever presented. We've got more talent than we've ever had. Pulling pulpits off, putting up tables, drinking coffee, kicking around, putting on our jeans and our button up to get up and preach and teach and be relevant. And our, in our search to be relevant, people walk in addicted and they walk out addicted. Wearing a suit ain't going to set nobody free, so don't, don't mistake what I'm saying right now. Don't, don't please. There's something that's missing when we become more professional than we've ever been. But we lose that depth and transformational power of Pentecost. God, get us back to it. Our musicians in Pentecost are unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. There are kids at Bible college playing right now. I was blessed to play music, even some on a professional level, and, and, and studio work and several things through the years. Man, there's kids doing stuff coming out of school, going to Bible college. They're doing stuff I never dreamed. They're not in student prayer meeting. They come, they come out and say, well, I got my four-year degree at a Bible college, so now go pay me to be your music director. And all I can look back and see, Brother Haney, is the little country churches that we'd go to when I was a kid. Had three guys on flat top guitars, a piano that was out of tune, a drummer that drove me crazy because he didn't know how to play. My dad would get up and preach, people would be laying everywhere. We're like, well, I don't like that style of music. It ain't the style of music, it's your spirit. It, it, it don't matter. Can we stand together tonight? I need God to help us. Church. It was described to us by the Apostle Paul, I believe, as having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I know there's some people right now that 
They'd fight with you in Pentecost. I, I, I had a pastor tell me the other day, he's taken a, uh, they bought a church building and some of the people that were in the former church, the apostolic church closed down. And some of the former people are staying there and the pastor that was leaving and sold in the building told him, said, I'm telling you, if you don't sing older songs, they're not going to stay. So I went back and watched some of the stuff. You know what older songs he was talking about? Lanny Wolf. I'm serious. Like there ain't five people in here that know who Lanny is. Lanny Wolf walked away from, from truth. And we're fighting over singing his songs. We don't like, we don't like new songs. It, it's not the song. It's the spirit in the body. That's saying, God, we're so hungry. I don't care if it's on a banjo and it's bluegrass. Or if it's a full band and we got more, more musicians and instruments we know what to do with. If it all goes away, we're so hungry for you that we're going to stay in your presence. I'm asking you to help me tonight, church. I want somebody to just reach out and say, God, if there's a deeper place that you're trying to take me back to, to the transformational power of Pentecost, I'll go back. I'll, I'll do whatever I've got to do. But, oh God, I, I don't know how to break this down to you, but, 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 but I want to make this clear. The way to pe Pentecostal power is not forward. It's going back to what we know. It's the praying and the fasting, pushing ourselves away from a table, spending time with God, seeking God together. Prayer meetings that get out of control and that they, we can't shut them down at an hour. We can't shut the prayer room down before church because it spills out into the sanctuary and people are drunk in the Holy Ghost in the prayer room. Oh, God. I know, I know, I know. There's things I could have preached that make you happier than this tonight. But my heart has been burning within me. God, take us back to the power. Take us back to the power of Pentecost. Take us back to the power of Pentecost. <laughs> Take us to the depths of your spirit. Yeah, but pastor, if I believe in the transformational power, then I'm going to have to be transformed. That's right, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to lay down your life and let him live in you. Oh. Oh. It's going to be countercultural. It's going to be against the spirits of this world. It's going to be against the spirit of this age. It's the power of Pentecost. It transforms the culture. It doesn't adapt. God, we need you. I don't believe the Holy Ghost is against us having lights and heat and air conditioning cameras. I, I believe we could use whatever we're going to use. That's not the reason why we're not having breakthrough. It's because we are so distracted we are so disgruntled and we are so isolated and separated from the reality of the spirit world. God, bring us back to power. Something's got to transpire in us. 
that our young men learn how to pray before they learn how to preach. Our choir members learn how to break through before they learn how to sing a solo. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, take us back to the power of Pentecost, personal Pentecost in our own souls. Uh, oh, God. Come on, somebody, let him transform you tonight. Let him transform your mind. Let him transform your spirit. Let him renew you in the Holy Ghost tonight. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost tonight. Be transformed by the power of Pentecost tonight. We're not like this world. We're never going to be. We're never going to be like this world. This world is not my home. I've been transformed by the power of Pentecost. Oh. It's a rearranging of priorities. It's a rearranging of thought processes. It's the transformational power of Pentecost. Oh, God. I pray tonight, God, over our young people. Let our young people be transformed by the power of Pentecost. Come on, let's not look for a fault in the system tonight. Let's not look for a fault in our brother tonight. Let's reach for the power of Pentecost. Oh, God. Take us back, God. Take us back, God. If you're in this house tonight, And you remember what it felt like the day that you were transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. I just want you to slip your hand up in the air. You have personally witnessed the transformational power of the Holy Ghost in your life. Oh, Come on, I'm talking about it. Pick some of you up out of the miry clay. Oh. Oh. He picked you up out of a terrible pit. Jesus. This world will not be transformed by our professionalism. This city will not be transformed by our music program. But they will be transformed by the power of Pentecost. Oh. 
we got to worship like no other church in town. We've got to sing like no other church in town. we got to dance like no other church in town. We've got to offer something in this church that they can't get on any other street corner than in an apostolic Jesus name church. wonder what would happen if we would transform our thinking. When we walk through the doors, we'd say, I don't care who's singing the, the lead, if it's the choir, the praise team, and I don't care what song it is, I'm going bold today. I'm going before the throne. I don't care if it's pastor preaching, bishop preaching, and evangelist preaching. I'm going before the throne. I'm going before God today. transformational power of Pentecost well it's cause the old preachers spent time in the word look my, my grandfather sat down and talked to me many many times and he'd say son you guys are preaching stuff I never never dreamed he said, you guys, man, you guys are walking and stuff. Dad, he, he'd compliment these young preachers in this church, teaching Bible class. He, these, he said, these guys are so brilliant. He called Brother Stephen the professor. So he was so proud of these young preachers that were coming up in this church. He'd tell them, you're one, you're one God preacher. It, it's, not, it's not because preachers got in the word more. It's because people got hungry. They, they got hungry. And they put their personal agendas aside. And their ideas aside. They said, God, whatever we got to do. Whatever it costs us. We're going to have revival. We're going to have to take restraints off God. We're just going to have to go after it. Seek God. Pray fast. Stay in the word. Maybe tonight the answer is this. And so I'm going to put it out. I'm not preaching. But I was raised under a pastor that I still honor today. I love my dad. And thank God for my pastor. But we get in the spirit like this right here where the Holy Ghost was moving. And pastor, when I was a kid, my pastor would say, all right, young people. This week, we're going on a media fast. He'd say, no TV, no radio, no CDs, nothing. And I'll be, if we wouldn't go on that media fast, shut off our dial-up internet, AOL, and we'd come back in on a Sunday morning and the Holy Ghost would fall. Well, yeah, 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 that's, that's no, I'm going to tell you what that is. It's inconveniencing yourself and pushing yourself away from distractions. It would not kill us if between Wednesday and Sunday we got on there and said, I won't be on Facebook for a few days. Listen, this is a busy time of year. Everybody's Christmas shopping. Traffic's nuts. People are nuts. I saw a thing the other day that said everybody thought the Grinch hated Christmas. He didn't hate Christmas. He hated people, and that's fair. 
Might be true. People are crazy right now. But, but while the world is trying to figure out all the holiday season, God's calling his church saying, get realigned. We're going into a new year. What's 2022 going to look like for you? I've started preparing myself, mother, for the 31st. I'm already thinking about communion. I, I am. I'm already thinking about communion and foot washing. The other night on, my, on our flight on the way home, I was thinking, God, what do I need to do? To be sure my heart's right for communion in a couple weeks. We got, you know, I'm excited about Christmas. I feel like a little kid. I said, God, we got got communion service coming up. What do I got to do? I want to be as ready for communion as I am for the rapture. 2022 cannot look the same for us. We got to get back to the transformational power. Let's lift our hands one more time.